0: Can I get a two, two, Can I get a beep, beep Running her hands through my fro yeah. Bouncing on 24 Come on Why they saying it I'm ready. It's the remix to Ignition Hot and fresh out the kitchen Mama ruling that body Got every man in here wishing Sipping on coke and rum I'm like so what I'm drunk yeah. It's the freaking weekend Baby I'm about to have some fun come It's the remix the to Ignition Hot and fresh out the kitchen yeah. Mama ruling that body Got every Good morning and welcome to episode 875 of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from Baseball Perspectives, brought to you by our Patreon supporters and the Play Index, baseballreference.com.
1: I'm Sam Miller along with
0: Ben Lindbergh, the co author of The Only Rule Is It Has to Work. Hi, Ben.
1: Hi, how are you? I'm great. Good. Do you think that we could make a case that our book is in the conversation for the best-selling sports book on Amazon right now? The data supports it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right.
0: Hey, uh, now that uh, now that the book is out, and now that um, the uh, not particularly secret fact that Theo Fightmaster was the name of our uh, of our employer, I want to uh, to to ask you: Do you like me when you're sitting around bored? Uh, or walking around the streets of Sonoma find yourself thinking about even better names than Theo Master
1: I don't I don't I, I couldn't even begin to try See, I don't think I've already seen several tweets to the effect that it is the best name ever
0: Well I believe I mean I I think that there are better and uh, so I'm going to give you the five that my five that I I keep coming back to if if that's okay mm-hmm. all right uh, Theo Fortmaker <laughs> Okay. Uh, Theo Fright Monster.
1: That'd be pretty good.
0: Theo French Monsieur. (laughs) Okay. Theo Flash Mobster.
1: Ooh, that's good. That might be the best.
0: And then this one is actually first and last name, Mento Freshmaker.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that'd be pretty good. That. It's better than Phelan Lentini, even another character in our book slash human being. Phelan Lentini is a great
0: name. I, 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 prefer, had I, I prefer having that name in mind. I like Theo Fightmaster is a great name, but I actually think Phelan Lentini is the the truly great name in
1: the book. Uh-huh. Yeah. And uh, well, one of the great things about Theo is that if you know him, it's even better because he is not a very martial person. He is a, a very gentle soul. And yet he has the most aggressive name.
0: Yeah, that's true.
1: (laughs) So we won't dwell on the book too much right now. We were just discussing that we will probably do some book-specific shows over the next few weeks. And maybe we'll take questions or we'll just go over some of the things from the book that we don't talk about the book. Or we'll do some sort of spoiler, spoilery behind-the-scenes making of sort of episodes. And we'll have people from the book on to do that. So... You can start reading if you have your books, and we'll uh, give people a little time to do that, but we'll we'll be doing some sort of book related content. But you can find everything that there is to know about the book on the website for the book. The only rule is it has to work dot com. There are reviews and interviews and excerpts and photos and videos and stats and just a ton of, you know bonus content and DVD extra sort of stuff that you'll enjoy if you've read the book. So you can go there to find all of that and events also.
0: Great. Looking forward Mm -hmm. to it. Yeah.
1: All right. Quickly, an update on something that we talked about uh,
0: during the offseason. It was one of our play indexes, uh, and it was about players who debuted in the majors at 19 and never appeared in the majors again. Appearing in the majors at 19 is usually a pretty good indicator that you're going to be a superstar Uh, And in fact, uh, you have a decent chance of making the Hall of Fame, but occasionally a player uh, will just never, never come back. Um, And we looked at those stories, but the reason we were talking about it is that Dylan Bundy was in a position where it could have happened to him. He appeared in the majors at age 19 in 2013, and then he missed the next couple years, and um, he had to prove he was healthy. To make the team this year, and uh, so just uh, just as an update, he is pitching. That that uh, uh, that that storyline is now concluded, uh, uh-huh. and he's having an odd season. Have you looked at his season by chance? Have you noticed it? No, he's thrown nine innings as a reliever. He's allowed two runs. Pretty good. Yeah, pretty good. Mhm. Good for him. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, but the odd part <laughs> is that he has struck out two and walked four. Oh. Uh, in that time, uh, he also has given up uh, many more fly balls than grounders, mm. and that's a, usually a bad
1: combination. Yeah, less good for him.
0: Yeah. So, uh, so we will see. He's kind of basically got like in relief. He's put together two good weeks of Chris Young, uh-huh. and so it'll be interesting to see. Yeah. All right. Let's see. Then uh, the next thing is kind of banter and kind of a full topic, depending. Probably more like banter, but do you have any, any any banter that you want to sneak in before we get into the potentially slippery slope banter?
1: <laughs> I don't think so. We're both sleep deprived and a little loopy today. Okay. I did a four a.m. interview with the Irish Times, so I'm ready to go right ahead. Cool. So I'm about to do an interview, actually, with a uh, with a football team. Are you taking over an independent league football team for your next act? No.
0: I'm, in in right after we record this, I'm doing an interview with an expansion arena football team in the Mm -hmm. IFL. I'm not sure what the IFL is, but it's probably the, I don't know what the I is for. Maybe it's Irish. Maybe it's Irish too. Anyway, (laughs) they are, uh, I suppose I'll be learning more about this during the interview, but they are having their fans run the team this year. Uh Uh-huh. And so you, like, you basically, you get to vote on all sorts of things, ranging from, like, you know, hypothetically ranging from, the uniform colors to, um, what you should do on, on fourth down in the fourth quarter. But you have to, the more as you, as it was explained to me, as you, as you vote or as you participate, you get points depending on, I guess, how good your votes are or maybe how often your votes are. So not every fan will get to do the fourth down thing, but every fan can do like the low stakes one. And then you earn, you basically are competing for a greater share. Of decision-making power. Anyway, interesting, right?
1: Indoor football league, by the way. And yeah, that sounds fun.
0: So I'm doing an interview with them where they're interviewing me. Uh Uh-huh. Just to be clear of who the interview is. All right, so Ben. Yeah. uh, The banter part, banterish, is did you see Jeff Passan's piece on juiced ball suspicions? Sure did. All right, so I think a fair way of summarizing Jeff's piece is that it is easy to believe conspiracy theories right now that it is uh, maybe even more than easy it's tempting it's it's just tempting as a uh, as a person watching the game to think huh i wonder if the ball is juiced and probably the four ways the four pieces of of logic that would make you find that easy to believe are that one there was a big big spike in offense and power um midway through last season that came out of nowhere uh, which we will, I will ask you about your research into that. Uh, but that came out of nowhere and and has has persisted for like three months. And suddenly, and in the middle of the season, and with no clear explanation. Uh, two is that that spike seems to be traced not to atmospherics, but rather to the velocity of baseballs coming off bats. As Dr. Alan Nathan is quoted in Jeff's piece, you can basically uh, explain all of the extra home runs by exit velocity, which suggests not that there's something happening with, you know, the wind or the weather, but that the ball truly is flying faster off bats. Three is that this was on a list of ideas that Major League Baseball sent to the union last year that Ken Rosenthal wrote about. And it was not a list of ideas that were to be acted on or that, you know, that went to any, that that we know, that went to any second stage or anything. As Rosenthal put it, it was in a, quote, package of data that it recently presented to the Players Union, but nothing formal was discussed or proposed according to a source with knowledge of the exchange. Uh, So you have the, at least you have a memo. You have a, there always has to be a damning memo uh, and um, preferably some trip hop in your conspiracy (laughs) video. Mm -hmm. And uh, finally, uh, the fourth is that we are always suspicious of the league doctoring the ball. I don't particularly want to talk about whether it is, although I do want to, since we never really talked about your uh, barn burner of a piece that you co-wrote with Rob Arthur, I would like you to summarize that. So what did you guys find?
1: Yeah, so we looked into this because there was that spike in exit velocity and also in home run rate last summer, and it really just sort of seemed to happen all at once. It seemed to happen almost right at the all-star break, which seemed suspicious because As we found out while writing that piece, some teams refreshed their supply of baseballs at the All-Star break. And so you'd think that if some change had been made to the manufacturing process, maybe it would have started to show up then. So we just tried to eliminate every explanation we could think of. We didn't really delve too much into PEDs or steroids, which you know we got many tweets about, of course, uh, because it just didn't seem plausible to us really that Everyone in the league could have suddenly started Taking something at the same time and That something only helped hitters And that something was undetectable By testing so it just And not seem... even and not even rumored It's not like we're, there's yeah. whispers from players Saying that they're seeing it more in the Clubhouse or anything like yeah, that. Yeah so we couldn't Come up with a way that made sense but We looked into temperature And weather because you know the ball does Travel farther if It's warmer and it was warmer, but not nearly enough to explain what was happening, and we looked into changing talent level because that was the probably the most compelling theory that a lot of teams had been out of it early last year because races were wrapped up, and so they shut down good starters or good starters got hurt or whatever it was, and, and they just sort of ran rookies out there like the Reds did for a, a really long period of time at the end of last season. And, of course, there were... An unprecedented uh, arrival of rookie hitters and rookie position rookie players really but rookie hitters specifically and just very talented slugging young players who just hit the ground running and were great right away and that accounted for part of it but that still just didn't seem to to answer it and then we actually tested baseballs and We couldn't find any statistical difference between the one batch of balls that we sent to a lab for testing And another batch of balls that we sent uh, to the same lab from the year before It was like a dozen Bud Selig balls and a dozen Rob Manford balls And there was no smoking gun there There was no sign that there was anything different But it wasn't really conclusive enough to rule that out as an explanation For one thing, it was just a dozen balls That we bought from Rawlings and wasn't necessarily representative of all the balls that were used in the game. And even if some of the balls were different, you could, you know, it's possible that you could just get a dozen that weren't different. And statistically, probably testing a dozen wasn't enough to, to prove that. There couldn't be more variation in the ball. And we didn't test the seam height, which can also affect how far the ball flies. And all this stuff is very expensive, unfortunately, to, to fire these balls through these cannons at, at plates and then see how they rebound. So it's not really something that you can do with dozens and dozens of balls. So we kind of did the best we could within our budget, but it wasn't quite enough to, to silence the tinfoil hat. Crowd which you know we sort of Belonged to when we started the article Because it really seemed like the only Plausible explanation and It sort of still did even after we wrote That and failed to detect any difference
0: Yeah I uh, Jay Jaffe Wrote in um, the Baseball Prospectus Compendium um, Extra innings a few years ago about The, the variance from ball To ball and yeah. even within a batch uh, There can be uh, considerable Variance uh, yeah. which is A uh, a fun. By the way, totally, kind of, almost totally off topic, but that is a fun chapter that every once in a while I will think about uh, because uh, you do wonder what percentage of home run variance for players is just uh, explained by uh, the fact that they got a bad ball thrown to them or a good yeah. ball thrown <laughs> to them. Anyway, so thank you. That's good. That's a good summary. It's a really great piece. It's uh, it's funny because uh, Hang Up and Listen did an episode on yeah. that on that piece, but we did not. That's right Uh, But it's great, everybody should read it Uh, And I especially liked Rob's uh, contribution (laughs) Yes Um, The reason that I bring this up though Is not because I'm going to answer the question Of whether the ball is juiced or not Or even whether I think the ball is juiced or not But to ask you Why it has to be a secret Why Mm -hmm. don't we just accept that Major League Baseball would adjust the baseball depending on the climate, depending on the offensive climate, uh, in order to keep a fairly predictable game, fairly predictable style of game that is popular and consistent. I mean, clearly, if it were revealed that the ball was being juiced right now, it would be a scandal. If it were revealed that the ball was being juiced in 1941, it would be a scandal. Even 75 years later, there would still be some crazy taking going on. but. It seems like it's the secrecy of it that creates the scandal. Would it be a scandal yeah. if Major League Baseball simply put out a memo saying that they're going to fix this by, or fix it, change it, what, fix maybe is the wrong word, but uh, they're going to use their role as the um, organization that oversees the good of the game and the integrity of competition by choosing a different baseball, by slightly adjusting the baseball so that it creates a style of game that they think is truer to the spirit of the game.
1: Yeah, I so, wouldn't
0: mind in the slightest. <laughs> so why why has this been a century of them denying it? And I mean, even like it almost seems like by denying it, Major League Baseball for a century has opened themselves up to extreme skepticism and constant conspiracy theories and like lots of accusations of the ball being uh, livelier or deader instead of embracing their role as the overseer of the baseball. And saying, yeah, we added 2% this year or we took off 4% this year. It seems so much easier to just say that, yeah, they're going to do that. That's part of their job. Like, why, yeah. why? why fight that, do you think? Why is it such a – something that has been so
1: resisted, do you suppose? I, I mean, I guess it's sort of a fundamental quality of the sport, the ball. And so – people might resent the idea that it might make people uncomfortable that you can just tamper with something so central to the game as how far the ball goes. I mean, that's, (laughs) it works the same way for everyone. If you just, so it's not like it favors one team in particular, so it, it doesn't bother me. And if you're just trying to restore some offense defense balance, then I think it's perfectly reasonable. I wouldn't mind. And Doing it the way they have done it or haven't done it over the last century hasn't really quelled any of the suspicion and the rumors that they have done it. So it's not as if, you know, because they've never announced it, no one has ever suspected them of doing it. If they were to announce it, then we'd probably be even less suspicious when they didn't announce it. So I don't know. I think it's probably just some reverence for tradition and not wanting to tamper with the way the game is played. But it really wouldn't bother me if they came out and did that. And I think it probably wouldn't bother most people all that much. I There was a sort of a scandal in Japanese professional baseball a few years ago. A big scandal. It cost yeah, the commissioner his job. The commissioner resigned. He said that he wasn't aware that someone below him had decided to change the ball. And uh, he resigned over that later. But yeah, I mean, that was why it was such a scandal was because they didn't say it and they even denied it maybe. And so I wouldn't mind if they came out and said, hey, offense is down. And this seems like a pretty unobtrusive way to change things. It won't really alter how the game is played. It'll just sort of change how often people score. I wouldn't mind. Yeah. When you say that it's a
0: reverence for tradition, I mean, at this point, um, it is now tradition that that no offensive environment holds, that, that yeah. we have these huge huge, ga- uh, huge swings from era to era. But really, I, I mean, a lot of people, when they say that they have a reverence for tradition, it's the ability to compare stats from one uh, generation to the next. And if they had decided in 1920 that they were going to try to enforce a fairly steady level of offense, uh, it actually would have arguably built a more cohesive a sense of tradition. Uh, although at this point now, there's, it's that's hardly worth pursuing unless you start expanding the bounds of, of the sports stats uh, in a way, like like we arguably saw with Barry Bonds, uh, then that becomes problematic. But uh, otherwise, uh, as long as you're kind of within the range of things we've seen before, and maybe, maybe the problem is that with strikeouts now, we're not in the range of things that we've seen before. Uh, and so maybe the common fan would actually consider it less Disruptive to, to to tradition to affect the baseball, rather than seeing uh, stats and style of play vary so dramatically from uh, the previous century. Uh, although you would think that that would be more of a seams issue or a mound issue than a compression issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. If we're talking about strikeouts. Now, the other thing, the last thing about this is that Major League Baseball did approve essentially tampering with the baseball in Colorado with the humidor. And if you put those two choices side by side, what we're talking about with uh, the league kind of monitoring the compression of the ball versus one team out of 30 getting to s- soak baseballs in water, yeah. I, like which one of those sounds like the scandal? Like th- <laughs> like this, the Coors Field one, obviously it's on the up and up. Everybody knows that it's happening. It's not done in secret, but it sounds way weirder and way less natural and way more deflate gatey than what, you know, we're all creating conspiracy theories about maybe having happened. It's it's very yeah. odd to me. That it's you know, it's just it's odd to me how how it became a third rail. This thing that seems totally unthird raily became a third rail. I don't I, I don't know why. i I'd be, it'd be interesting to read a piece about juiced ball conspiracies Through the years and to see what the conversation was like initially when the sport was young, when the modern sport in particular was young, and what the objection was uh, or what drew people to the conspiracies. All right. Anyway. All right. Now to the topic, Ben. Okay. A year and a half ago, you wrote a piece for Grantland about how lousy Clayton Kershaw is relative to Pedro Martinez. (laughs) Right Not really I'm not really exaggerating It was <laughs> It was It was It was hot fire Aimed at Clayton Kershaw And I want First of all I want to know Before we get into the topic I want to know What was
1: What rea- what response Did you get to that piece? Dodgers fans were mad at me But everyone else Seemed to enjoy it Oh really? Interesting So it was yeah. I, I mean it was Tongue in cheek It was more An attempt to elevate Pedro Than it was An attempt to denigrate Kershaw But it was In Pedro's fake voice, because I thought that would be funny. And so, Mm, yeah, uh, yeah, it wasn't intended to be mean-spirited or anything.
0: No, no, of course not. But because it was in Pedro's fake voice, and it wasn't even in Pedro's voice. It was in the voice of Pedro's season. (laughs) It It was in the voice of an abstract collection of performances. And the character of Pedro's season that you wrote, that you created is a very condescending one with a lot of bait and switches a lot of false compliments I would yeah. say sarcasm and so on and yeah. so I agree with you that it was much more about elevating Pedro than denigrating Kershaw I mm-hmm. don't generally have especially for long pieces a lot of faith especially for long pieces that appear on the front page of major national sports sites I don't have a ton of faith in the uh, in the in all readers to to uh suss out the nuance of yeah. the author's intent. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, so I'm I'm actually sort of surprised that you didn't get a lot more widespread hatred over either over your use of of advanced stats or over just uh denigrating this
1: uh you know the the greatest in the sport at the moment. Yeah, no. I remember angry Dodgers fans, but uh on the whole I think people got it and it totally didn't you know, like the, the condescending Pedro attitude was not at all Pedro's actual attitude. I think he had tweeted or said something very complimentary about Kershaw shortly before I wrote that piece. So, so yeah, um, I think people mostly took it in the spirit it was intended, but that was one of my first pieces for Grantland, I think. And so there was some backlash and, uh, Comments section. I think Grantland still had a comment section of that really? point, perhaps maybe and so there definitely was uh, some like Dawning awakening in me that this was a larger audience and that the reception to this piece was not the same as it would have been at baseball Perspectives, but overall it was not too painful.
0: All right so in that that ran on September 16th 2014 in his final two starts of that year He won both games, which pushed his record to 21 and three, uh, which is, uh, which looks different than 19 and three on a baseball card. He struck out 20 in 13 innings in those two starts and walked only three. He then went on to last year have a season that was from May on, I would argue, the greatest he's ever been. And I have argued might be the greatest any pitcher has ever been. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, and s- over a, you know, 4-month span, and this year he has started 6 games. He has struck out 54 and walked 3. He has struck out 54 batters and walked 3 batters. He has a 1.96 ERA and he's going on I I don't have the fun fact in front of me, but I think he's I think he – geez, I don't remember if I tweeted this or if I was waiting for him to get to 1,000. But I believe he's now got more than 1,000 innings with a sub-2 ERA. Uh-huh. In fact, let's see. Probably not. I think he's like – I think you can only go like 925 innings with a sub-2 sub ERA okay. at this point. And this, you know, in a sense, like I said, in a sense last year was was maybe arguably the best he's ever been. Uh, and in one sense you could argue that maybe this year is the best he's ever been That He's even better He's got the highest ERA plus of his career at the moment He's got a 1.83 FIP Which is only two hundredths higher than it was in 2014 And adjusted um, for the offensive context it's actually better He's got the lowest whip of his career by a ton His whip right now is 0.72 as a starter And he has struck out 18 batters for every walk and so I just wanted to bring this uh this column up because I
1: wanted to know if you're if, if 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 it's worth reconsidering. Worth reconsidering the Pedro versus Kershaw argument prime.
0: Yeah, I I guess one way of saying it is yes that. Is it, it would you still if you had thought of this idea uh yesterday instead of in September 16th, 2014, do you think you could still get away with writing it? And I guess secondarily, is it really, I guess, I guess I, I, I want to know, is it fair to say that anybody is better, has been better than Kershaw? I mean, I'm not saying that you have to argue that Kershaw's the greatest of all time or anything like that. But is really there anything that Kershaw hasn't done? And I'll leave that out there because I know your answer and, um,
1: and I have a response to it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'm not sure what, what it is yet. When BP did that Kershaw Day, I think about six months after the Pedro Kershaw article we're talking about, there was one article I remember about how Kershaw was getting better. Yeah. Remember, was it Jeff Long who wrote that? There it was, was. Yeah, I think it was Jeff Long. Yeah. And at the time, it just seemed like it It seemed unrealistic, sort of. I mean, it was, it was a fun, compelling argument, but it, it seemed... Hard to imagine that he could actually still be evolving and improving as a pitcher based on what we know about how pitchers typically age and how incredible he had been to that point. I I mean, I guess his last season was was not really better than his 2014. but
0: No, the season as a whole wasn't. Although, like I said, I think that the first month was so abnormal, particularly on batted ball stuff, Mm -hmm. uh, that we all knew. Like, we were all, like, wildly disregarding it. And then just just as you might start to go, wait a minute, is there something here? He became something better, I would say, than he's ever been. I'll read – I'm going to read Jeff Long's uh, paragraph. Not long ago, I was looking at which pitchers improved their K percentage minus walk percentage the most from 2013 to 2014. I wasn't shocked to see many great pitchers near the top of the list, but I was shocked to see Clayton Kershaw right up there at the top. From 2013 to last season, Kershaw improved his K minus walk by 8 percentage points, going from 20% to 28%. He was both the best pitcher in baseball in 2013 and also among the most improved pitchers in baseball in 2014. Holy crap. He's getting better, and yes, this fact has gone overlooked Right, yeah And he arguably, I'm arguing, not everybody would, I'm arguing Has also gotten better since that was written
1: Yeah, well, certainly his start to this season has been about as good as he's ever been So I wouldn't think to write about that topic today I don't think it would occur to me (laughs) as easily as it did at the time And I think I had – I don't know if there was one inspiration for that piece, but I sort of used as a foil an article that I think was on the Washington Post website maybe about uh, like how Kershaw was, you know, the best pitcher ever and how uh, no one else compared. And I think the Post didn't even mention Pedro for some reason. And so I sort of used that as the imagined affront that my fictional Pedro would be responding to. But – yeah, I I don't think I mean the longer Kershaw does this the less interesting it is to make any kind of argument that someone was better. I mean, a week ago we were talking about whether Jake Arrieta was, was is better, right? Than right Pedro's now. peak or yeah, for a year <laughs> or so. But Kershaw's sustained dominance for 3 plus seasons and that's not even counting his you know, two-plus elite seasons before that and his two-plus really good seasons before that is getting to the point where even if maybe the very, very pinnacle of his performance was not quite up to the level of Pedro's, I mean, it's just once you era and ballpark adjust and do all that to Pedro's stats, it's just really hard to have any equal for him he was outpacing the league by such a dramatic extent at the time but Kershaw's is maybe lasting longer than Pedro did at a similar level I I don't know I, I mean Pedro was great for quite a while but his greatest was what two seasons was his like otherworldly yeah and then he, he had was, the, you know he,
0: yeah he had the two that it you just cannot win an argument arguing against them yeah they're they're so far beyond Every other two
1: seasons But the peak was really six or seven Yeah, right So, eh, I mean, maybe Kershaw is more durable By the standards of his era than Pedro was But I don't know I mean, Pedro broke down eventually But he he wasn't not durable for for most of his peak So, as I said, right now It it wouldn't be a, a really fun comparison to do Because he's made it pretty close Or at least close enough that it's no fun to poke holes in it by comparing him to Pedro. He's also, uh, over the course of his career, and this
0: was part of what we talked about, during Kershaw Day, he developed uh, into a good hitter after being a horrible hitter early on. And he now adds roughly half a win uh, compared to the average pitcher with his bat. And, of course, he's got one of the great pickoff moves. He's got one of the great base running suppression uh,
1: games in the sport too I don't know how much you factor those in
0: or yeah, how much I mean, you would you
1: should it's harder to do because you have to look at different sections of the stat page or <laughs> in, in some cases but but yeah I mean that counts yeah
0: okay so then um so here's the here's here's what I, I want to ask you uh, so if you look at Pedro's peak which uh, I'll just define as 1997 to 2003 which was seven years from age 25 to 30 31, he had a 2.20 ERA and a 2.26 FIP, which are both uh, very good. Now, if you look at Kershaw's currently six-year run in which he's finished first, second, first, first, third in Cy Young voting, and then this year, by the way, first, second, first, first, third, what, what, I mean, really, R.A. Dickey having a good year is like the least predictable way for his Cy Young to be his <laughs> yeah. Cy Young streak, to be broken up. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, if you look at that six-year run, he's got a 2.11 ERA and a 2.30 FIP. Uh, so, you know, he's got a slightly better ERA and a very slightly worse FIP. And then, of course, we would have to adjust for the league, for the level of competition, for the ballpark, and more than anything else for the era. And so if you look at Kershaw... His ERA plus in that time is 173, and if you look at Pedro Martinez, his ERA plus during his peak is 213, and those aren't that close. Those that's that's like 40 percent. That's like yeah. 40. That's that's a lot. That's a big, 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 big difference. And the point of bringing this up is that I'm wondering if there is a case to be made that that's misleading, that it's not necessarily Always accurate to compare using era-adjusted stats. Um, mm. That that it's you know that it's good that it's better than than not usually, but that it's not always accurate. And I don't have a. I, I'm really bringing it up as a question. I don't have a great reason for. It. But let me give you a hypothetical. Say you had two guys who were who were clones. One was Clayton Kershaw, uh, and the other was he's also Clayton Kershaw. They're clones. Okay. <laughs> right. And one of them stays on earth and pitches in the National League just like he's doing. And another one goes to some other universe far away where all the hitters are exactly like all the hitters here, okay? Uh-huh. All right. So you've got Clayton Kershaw, and you've got a exact identical group of hitters. So Clayton Kershaw's ERA on earth is going to be 2.11, and his FIP is going to be 2.30, right? Mm-hmm. And on the other planet, his ERA is going to be 2.11, and his FIP is going to be 2.30. Okay, everything is identical. Okay. Yeah. Now the only thing is that on this other planet, all the pitchers are better. This uh-huh. this planet has figured out pitching. This this planet has understands pitching in a way that we simple Earthlings just cannot. It is they've put they are a far more advanced species, but they put all their effort into pitching. And so Clayton Kershaw on Earth uh, is, is competing against 600 Earthlings. And Clayton Kershaw on the other planet is competing against 600 other planetlings. And those guys are all insanely good. So Kershaw, the, with the 2.20 ERA here, has an ERA plus of 173. But on that other planet, he's only average relative to mm-hmm. other pitchers. Mm-hmm. So in this scenario, is Kershaw on the other planet actually worse. Is it fair to say that he's worse? Maybe maybe less valuable, maybe the Ray, maybe there's less le- there's less of a scarce resource there. But yeah. but he is just as good. He by definition he is just as good. Yeah. And his competition mm-hmm. in the batters box is just as good. It is only that there is more good pitching. And so mm-hmm. is it possible that what we were seeing in the 90s with Pedro was not necessarily that Pedro was that much better than the hitters relative to Kershaw is to this generation's hitters, but that in fact it was a bad era for pitching, that this was the height of the tin-stap era, that they could not develop a good pitch. Nobody knew how to develop a good hard-throwing pitcher, uh, and and so there just was bad pitching. There was bad pitching everywhere. Uh, There were a few guys who broke through because they were invulnerable Randy Johnson, one of the greatest of all time Greg Maddox, one of the greatest of all time Roger Clemens, one of the greatest of all time Uh, But the league as a whole was just bad at pitching Not bad at hitting, Mm -hmm. bad at pitching And that the hitters today are not bad at hitting But the pitchers are better at pitching So Mm -hmm. in this analogy, the Earth-Other Planet analogy Can we say that era-adjusted stats are doing are sort of an illusion, are misleading us, that they're fo- that they're telling us that we think they're telling us a story about Kershaw or about the offense. But in fact, they're telling us a completely different story about Jeremy Bonderman versus name a good young pitcher, any Garrett Cole.
1: Yeah, I think that's possible. I've seen some research and I think done some research. And I know that during Pedro's era, there was more variance between players than there is now. Like the standard deviation was bigger. So you, you had really good players and you had really bad players. Whereas today, everyone is more tightly grouped together. And I've seen some speculation that maybe that had to do with PEDs and those being so prevalent in the game at the time. And maybe they really benefited some players and. Other players, they didn't or those players weren't taking them. And so maybe that artificially increased the separation between players in some way. Or maybe it's just a quality of competition thing and teams and players are just better today and they're better at filling all of the roster spots on their teams with good players as opposed to just filler. Or maybe it was just a cyclical thing where... There were some really ridiculously great pitchers, or at least they looked ridiculously great because there were also some bad pitchers. So, yeah, I think there's probably some difference between eras that something like ERE Plus doesn't quite capture. And, of course, if you go back far enough, as we've done on other episodes, then you're basically asking the how good would Babe Ruth be today question, right? Just, you know, how much has the overall talent level improved and would that guy... If you transported him to the present time, would he be competitive? And I'm not trying to get into that question. That's not, that's not, that, to me, that is a
0: line of logic separate from the one that I am trying to get at.
1: Yeah. But even the one that you are getting at, I think it's possible, yeah, that maybe that was just a weird time he was in that allowed the best pitchers to look even better relative to the typical pitcher.
0: For Kershaw to match Pedro on an ERA plus level, at this point in this era, at that ballpark that he pitches in and against NL offenses, I suspect that you would have to see him putting up maybe even sub-1 ERAs. I've, in fact, I suspect you would. I bet yeah. I bet to match Pedro's two best seasons, he would need to have sub-1 ERAs. And I wonder if there's just something in the sport that makes that essentially impossible.
1: That Other than Jake Arrieta. Other than Jake Arrieta
0: who is so far beyond my comprehension that I don't think that that's necessarily a mold that I'm uh, willing to, uh, to to treat as realistic. I don't know what to say about Jake Arietta still. Uh, yeah. But do you think that that is... Let me put it this way, Ben. If Pedro were pitching in this environment, do you think he would have had sub-1 ERAs? Or is it just impossible? Is BABIP too much a part of the game And too predictably unpredictable And too out of the pitcher's control And are there various forces uh, Invisible forces And sometimes visible forces in the game That create this Kind of parity or um, Gravity toward Certain median performances That just make it impossible You know I asked you the question Would Pedro, would that Pedro In an era like this one Everything the same
1: have had Sub one ERAs (laughs) Well, that was such an extreme outlier that it does seem like if you change the conditions at all that it would increase the chance that the outcome would be different somehow. So I I don't know what it would be exactly unless it's the possibilities that we've sort of touched on in this episode. But yeah, I mean, it, it seems improbable that he could have been that good. <laughs> I guess it's just one way to say it, which is why we... Love him and appreciate him and marvel at his stats from that era, but it just, I'm open to the possibility just because it was so extreme and crazy and unparalleled that there is something subtle that maybe would make it slightly less crazy and extreme if conditions had been different in some way.
0: All right. Well, I wrote about Kershaw today at Baseball Perspectives, so if you want a little bit more on Kershaw's greatness, um, you can go read about that. It's specifically about his quote-unquote mistakes, Um, and
1: uh, I think otherwise that's it. This was pretty fun. Yeah, I do. I want more on Kershaw's greatness. All right. I want an unlimited amount on that. Okay, so that is it for today. You can, as always, support the podcast on Patreon by going to patreon.com/effectivelywild. And today's five Patreon salutes go to John Fairfield, Leah DiBrawley. Russell Bryce, Charles Johnson, and Olaf Jorgensen. Thank you. Again, our book, The Only Rule Is It Has to Work, is out now. You can just stroll into any bookstore and buy it. Pre-ordering is no longer an option, unless you're getting the audiobook, in which case it still is. The website is theonlyruleisithastowork.com. If you read the book and like the book, please leave us a review on Amazon. A couple people already have. Not asking anyone to stuff the ballot box But if you do think it deserves a positive Review then please leave one It helps us especially early on to convince Other people to buy it. The first event we are doing Is this Thursday in Manhattan at the Corner bookstore on 93rd And Madison at 6pm It'll be sort of a low key book Release party. I'll probably read something From the book. I think there will be wine and Cheese cubes. I will be happy to Sign books and press the flesh And meet all of you so you are all Welcome. You can find info on a few other events that are coming up on the website as well. You can join our Facebook group at facebook.com groups slash effectively wild. If you are writing about the book in there, which of course you are encouraged to do, try not to spoil it for slower readers or people who are cursed with slower shipping. Just add a little warning if you think there's something that might spoil the book for someone. If you're still on the fence, the first excerpt is up at Slate right now, so you can go read that. It's about Sean Conroy, one of the pitchers we signed who became the first openly, publicly Gay player in professional baseball You can also rate and review and subscribe to The podcast on iTunes and you Can get the discounted price of $30 on A one year subscription to the play index by Going to baseballreference.com and using The coupon code BP send us Emails at podcast at baseballperspectus.com Or by messaging us through Patreon We will answer your emails tomorrow I don't know lot of people in the crib get hype lot of people in the crib get hype Release it Yes